Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> All in our places with bright, shining faces, huh? Very good. <laughs> I better pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for the worship, for our, our leaders in worship, and for this, the very real experience of your manifest presence. Now we ask, as we focus on becoming deeper and stronger in our prayer lives, that you, Holy Spirit, will reveal and uh, cause in such a way us to have vision and insight into your heart for us, uh, that nothing would hinder our growth in maturity and freedom and our growth in uh, seeing the power of God released through our lives. Come, spirit of prayer, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Over the next six weeks, uh, what I'd like to do is share with you a series that I've created on growing in your prayer life. And then we're calling it Ask, Seek, and Knock. And we'll kind of explain why we're using that as, as the terms of it. Uh, but today I'd like, I'd like to just introduce this idea of you and prayer and of how every single minute of every single day, the Father is inviting you into prayer with Him, into relationship. And so I'd like to structure this morning in three ways, and I'd like you to think about it with me in three ways. The first is this, that whether you know it or not, you have a relationship to prayer. It's either a good one or a bad one. And so what I want to, what I want to discuss in the beginning here is your relationship to prayer and how to turn it into something that's incredibly meaningful to you. The second thing is that you can't have a relationship with, to prayer and not have a relationship with the God that we pray to how we relate to God and how he has invited us to relate to him. And you may be surprised by this in a sense, but God prescribes how you are to relate to him. You can't just relate to him in any old way and then expect results. You have to learn to relate to him in the way he has revealed himself. And so even in worship, yeah, or whether it's worship or prayer or any other aspect of the prayer life, in those things, you do not worship him in any way you want to. You worship him according to the way he prescribes. He is self-revealing. And so the relationship that you have to him can only progress if you begin to align yourself with the positions that he's given us for prayer. And then the last thing that I want to discuss today with you are, the, are some aspects of the, of the results of praying. So the first thing is, you and I have a relationship to prayer, and here is what I'd like you to, to know, is you will not grow spiritually without a prayer life. You can get more knowledge, but it'll just make you more prideful. You can be more religious, and it, all it'll do is just make you farther from heaven. Prayer is very much an expression of trust. It's an expression of confidence. It's an expression of intimacy with God. 
And so in order for you to go forward, whether it's in your ministry, your family, your relationships, whatever it is that's truly healthy and life-giving in, 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 in your situation, without a prayer life, you will always be in poverty. Here, I, I can explain this in many ways. One of them is this. In Luke 11, verse 1, the disciples have been walking with Jesus. They've been seeing everything that Jesus can do. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him make blind eyes open. They've seen him deliver people from demons. They have seen him get up in a, in, and preach and, and hear the people say, we have never heard anyone preach like this. And yet, in Luke 11, they don't say to him, Jesus, would you teach us how to preach? They don't say to him, show us how to deliver people from demons. Let's have a deliverance seminar. They don't say, hey, would you show us how to do miracles? The only thing they say in Luke 11, verse 1, is they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Why would they do that? Well, because out of his prayer life, he delivered people from demons. Out of his prayer life, he preached with authority. Out of his prayer life, he healed the sick. Out of his prayer life, blind eyes could not stay blind. Why is that? Well, because Jesus reveals in John, he says, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. So it was in his intimacy with the Father. It was his intimacy with God. You see, in a sense... Jesus, through his prayer life, had eyes to see what the Father was already doing. Then he could join himself to what the Father was doing. And as he joined himself to what the Father was doing, he saw extraordinary things. If you begin to realize what Jesus said, he, he said it this way. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And see, the problem for most of us is we can do all kinds of things, but what Jesus says is all the things you do apart from him amount to nothing. And at some point, I mean, you can keep on butting your head against the wall. You can keep doing it your way. You can keep trying to get God to bless your mess. Or you could stop and say, you know what? This doesn't really work. The Father's already at work. Jesus is at work. I could join them in what they're doing instead of trying to conscript them to what I'm doing. I could join them in what they're doing because what they're doing will be extraordinary. But what I'm doing will only be ordinary until I unite my life with the extraordinary. The other thing is this. This is a little more... Per Does that make sense to you? Yes, sir. It's a little more personal, okay? Some years ago, I realized I didn't have much of a prayer life. Um, my wife had told me for years, but you know, we husbands, we don't listen to our wives. And uh, so I, I, I just kept trying to fake it till I made it. And so, I, you know, I had theologically correct prayers. I had pretty prayers. I could pray long. But I didn't know how to pray. And so when I was alone, a thousand things would interrupt my prayer time. Or even my Bible reading. Sometimes I couldn't even read my Bible because I was thinking of all the things I needed to do. And I just, I got fed up with this. I'm like, as a pastor, how can I be a pastor and not know how to pray? This was a, a little over 20 years ago. And I began to just pursue the Lord. I began to say, Lord... This simple sense of the disciples. I didn't even think of this, but it was this simple sense. Teach me to pray. Just teach me to pray. 
And so what he showed me was is that prayer wasn't just a theory. It wasn't something I just could read everything about or hear a bunch of teaching about. It was something I had to start doing. And then the other thing was I needed to attach myself to people who already knew how to do it. And it's an amazing thing that when you attach yourself to somebody else who already knows what they're doing, you begin to receive some of their spirit. You begin to receive some of their experience. You begin to receive some of their gifting. Some of their anointing begins to rub off on you. And so the Lord led Lisa and me back in uh, 1997 to uh, a man who uh, lived his whole life by prayer. Uh, his biography of his, uh, that was written about him was called Everything by Prayer. He used to have this saying, he said, don't just pray about things, bring things about by prayer. And, uh, and he, he challenged us, and one of the things that he challenged us on is he said that in your life, particularly in, in your ministry, your family, your finances, your, your health, every single thing in your life needs a locomotive to pull the train. Now, you can have all the cars in place. You can have a, the caboose in place. You can have all those things in place. But if you don't have a locomotive, you have no power source. You have no, no way to get the train from where it is to where you want it to go. And he said, God calls men and women, not methods, but God calls men and women and boys and girls to become those locomotives of prayer. And if you read throughout history, every great move of God, there are locomotives of prayer. And there are ordinary people. Some of them you've never heard of before. Uh, but in every case of every move of God, there are these great locomotives of prayer. And they're ordinary people. And I believe you're here today. And you can run away from this if you want to. But the invitation is for you to become a locomotive of prayer. I don't know what it was about that picture, but as soon as I heard him say that, I said, that's what I want to be. I want to be a locomotive. I don't just want to be pulled. I want to pull. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard this. John Maxwell talks about the fact that when a locomotive is at full speed, it can go through five walls of solid concrete. That's, that's what I want. That's what it is to be an overcomer. That's what it is to prevail in prayer. Very many of us in this room have tried prayer, but we've never learned to be locomotives of prayer. And it's, it really, to be that, it just begins with the same request that the disciples asked. Lord, teach me to pray. You can pray that every day. My, that mentor I told you about, he prayed it every single day of his life till he died at 94. That alone should make you want to pray. He wasn't taken home till he was 94 years old, and he was sharp as a tack till the day he died. He was a locomotive. And when he passed, I said, Lord, whatever he had, please pass it on to me. You know? So I'd like to ask you, would you be willing, over these six weeks, would you be willing... Some of you are locomotives. Some of you are not. Whoever you are, all it takes is an ordinary person saying, Lord, teach me to pray. And then and say to him, I would be willing to be one of your locomotives. 
I would say it this way to you. Your family needs it. All the work you can do and all the good that you can do is always limited by space and time. Your talents, your money, your energy. Prayer is limitless. It is you releasing infinity into the situation. Learning to pray doesn't just double your effectiveness. It increases it to a measure that cannot be measured. Because it opens up your life and the people around you lives to miracles. To things that aren't explained by ordinary cause and effect. It opens up heaven on earth. Would you say that would you say this with me? Lord, teach me to pray. I mean, I, I think you can just, if you start there, he loves, he loves simple. He loves simple, and he loves to answer. But there's, there's this part, and I, I can't make you feel it like I feel it. But I believe you're here today because God is saying, I'm inviting you to be a locomotive. Would you say yes to him? I can't make you say yes. That wouldn't be worth anything. But if you're saying, wow, I can see that picture. I can see a picture of me pulling in prayer. I can see a picture of me breaking through in prayer. I can see a need of me breaking through in prayer. Then these next six weeks together could be very important for you. Now, why I believe this is so true is because of the resurrection of Jesus. I, I read this to you last week. It's a, it's a quote by um, theologian N.T. Wright. And this is what, how he describes the resurrection. A new power is let loose in the world. The power to remake what was broken, to heal what was diseased, to restore what was lost. This is why we pray. The resurrection changed everything about prayer. We're not beggars. We're not weaklings who have no access to power. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you have yielded yourself to the Holy Spirit, then this is who now lives and dwells. He is the firstborn from the dead. His kingdom has begun with His resurrection. And His resurrected Life dwells in you. As a matter of fact, um, Paul says it this way, the very, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead indwells you. So in other words, the power of the locomotive is there. It's just, you have to decide you're going to be that locomotive. And for more than yourself. That in the same way that a locomotive at full speed can go through five, five walls of concrete, you can keep a locomotive from ever moving by two blocks of wood. All you have to do before the locomotive ever gets started is you put two wedges of wood in the wheels. And that powerful machine that can go through concrete now can't move. So what does the enemy of your soul do? He brings two wedges of lies. And he makes you believe that all you are is a product of your past. 
He makes you believe that the failures of your past and the experiences of your past and, and even the times when you, you prayed and it didn't work and all of this, he makes you believe with those two blocks of wood that there's no reason to get started. You hear things like, it's never going to change. It doesn't do any good. Why should, I, why should I fight through this? Why don't I just sleep? You know, why, why don't I just go ahead and, and, and do all the things on my list without him? Hope that he'll help me. There's so many ways that all he does is put those two wedges of wood into your engine. And instead of power, you have inertia. You know, you have, you have this inability to change or move. There's this interesting thing, friends, that there's so many things that do not, you do not experience until you start to believe. You don't experience certain things until you start to believe. One of the things that you have to believe before you experience it is not just that Jesus is raised from the dead, but that you're raised from the dead. That in the same way that Jesus is a new creation, that he is the first fruits of the resurrected ones. In the same way that you believe that, you have to believe that about yourself. Paul says it this way, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, the only way to experience that is to begin to believe it before you feel it. Because what we usually feel is we feel... The, the lack and the deficits and the faults and the failings of the past. But we don't feel yet what we have not yet experienced. So it takes a, a risk. It takes a step of courage. It takes a step of faith to say, I'm going to believe what God says about me. That I am this new creation. Now, I'm going to take this further with you. I said in some ways last week that, that the way we looked at reality before the resurrection is earth was one house and heaven was another house and we hoped there was a corridor between the two. But with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he destroyed the walls and now heaven has invaded earth and earth is near to heaven. And we see this in the person of Jesus that he is as comfortable on earth as he is in heaven and he's comfortable in heaven as he is on earth. He is both son of God and son of man. He is fully God and he's fully man. And he, he has come into your heart and brought the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, he's brought what is true of heaven into you. And now heaven and earth intersect in your heart. You are both worlds at the same time. When you pray, you are recognizing, I am of heaven. And what is of heaven will now impact earth. That's why it can't be religious prayers. See, religious people are trying to earn their way to heaven. Trying to deserve heaven trying to get leverage with a God who doesn't want to let them in. All you have to do is hear all the St. Peter jokes. Why he doesn't let this one in? Why he doesn't let that one in? Guess what? St. Peter does not stand at the gate. It's a good joke. Okay, there are a lot of funny ones. 
But it's just a joke. Because you're either... Now, right now, heaven has begun. Or it never begins for you. It never begins. Eternal life begins now. This is the whole of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the deposit of heaven in the soul of a person. So that God's life is now bound to your life. The very Holy Spirit who comes in and dwells us is the very Spirit of, of the kingdom of heaven. He's the Spirit of Christ, of the resurrected Lord. See, when we pray, we're not, we're not earthbound. We are loosing what is true of heaven on earth. This is why this kind of beggarly sense of praying, this sort of, this sort of weakness, this trying to get leverage with God, trying to make deals with God, which we've all done. I mean, how many of us in a crisis have promised we would do... Oh, some of you are here today because you promised you would go to church for the rest of your life. You know, the things we, we try to bargain with God, we try to leverage with God because we don't understand either heaven has invaded your heart and therefore you are in the blessing of God. You are in the favor of God. And you begin to operate from that place in prayer. My relationship to prayer is not to come into his favor, but because I already have his favor. It makes a total difference from from trying to get an unwilling God to do what I want him to do from being a, a person who says, this is the God that I love. See, that means in a sense that I have to understand the positions that I stand before him as a person of prayer. And they are, they are revealed to us in the life of Jesus. No, nowhere are you going to see more powerful the ideas and concepts of, of prevailing prayer than you see in Jesus. And he gives us basically three positions from which he invites us to operate in prayer. None of them of which are religious positions. They're all relationship positions. They are not ones that can be earned. They are not ones that can be lost. Because they're given to you. And they're not taken away. God does not repent of that which he gives to his people. The first one and the most, probably the most part, important one as far as entering into the very presence of God in prayer is that he calls us children. That you are a son, you are a daughter. That he, Jesus in the most amazing of ways which we have kind of dumbed down and become too familiar with, gives us permission to speak to our Creator as Father. And not only as Father, but in the familiar way, Daddy, Abba, to speak to Him as we would our own earthly loving Father. And He says, you have permission to enter in this way. Think about, think about this with me for a minute. Have you ever, you ever, none of you in this room probably have ever done this, but there are people that screw up at work. They just, they, they make mistakes, they do the wrong things. And so when you have a relationship 
to a person as boss and you're constantly underperforming. The boss gives you a few chances, but eventually what happens is the boss fires you. Whether it's angry or whatever, but, but eventually if you're incompetent and the only relationship you have is boss Employee, boss says you're not performing properly and kicks you out. You and I never have this kind of boss-employee relationship with God. As a matter of fact, what happens when my children start screwing up or messing up, I don't disown them. I give them more love. I give them more guidance. I give them more of my time. I give them more of my attention because I realize that this is a son and and my son I'm never going to fire. I'm never going to quit being father. See, this is the beauty of coming into a prayer life with someone who will never give up on you, who will never fire you, and who will never say you're not enough. The other thing is this is that it becomes very clear if it's child to father. It is always a dependent relationship. In other words, when he fills out his taxes, you're on there every year because you're his dependent. And so the father does not need anything from you, which is important because a lot of us try to leverage God. Look how much I read my Bible. Look at how long I go to church. I look at how often I do this good thing or that thing. See, when, it, when it's father and child, there's no leverage. Love is freely given. I mean, I don't love my son more because he does this or he does that. I love him because he's my son. And I'm evil. And I know how to love in, that, in a way that is not performance-based. The father... In his love and calling you into prayer is calling you as a well-loved child. So that when you come to him, he's not surprised by anything you've done. He's not disappointed in anything you've done. He welcomes you. He doesn't start off the prayer conversation with, why haven't you called lately? He doesn't start the first hour of the conversation telling you how bad the world is for him. He focuses on you. He's the only one that can, truthfully. He's the only one that can because everyone, the rest of us that you talk to, number one, we lack his wisdom. But number two, we have our own problems which we're more than willing to solve yours, but have no idea how to solve our own. So it's fascinating how we will go to people as stupid as we are for wisdom, but will not humble ourselves to the Father who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere present. We will run from Him, but run to people who will give us bad advice. I mean, maybe we need to start texting God. If we text our prayers, we would get real excited about them. Is there a data plan for texting God? I don't know. Unlimited. Unlimited. (laughs) Well, the second one is the 
the position that he gives us a friend to friend. Jesus is so, so beautiful in this passage in John where he says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. And the, the, the basis of, of the relationship of friend to us is actually him saying, I will disclose or reveal my own heart to you. The heart of Jesus, he wants you to know it. I think about this sometimes, I, I won't spend long on this, but I think about this sometimes because as my kids get older, I realize they don't know, they re- remember me or think of me as their father when they were little. And I have to constantly in some ways be, saying, be revealing myself to my son and to my daughter as who I am today. Because uh, some of the hurts and the wounds that I, that I did to my children were done years ago and they can get locked into some view or vision of me. And so we have often painful talks about how hurtful certain things were in their life. But I'm willing to do that because I want them to know me now and not just be locked on when I was so much more immature and so much more unwise and to love them to begin to love me for who I am, not who I was. And so as I think on that, I'm thinking, isn't this the very heart of prayer is the Father wants enough time to reveal himself to you. Not as who you were told he was or who somebody else said he was or who the pain says he was, but who he really is and will be. Well, and the the third position is one where, and we'll unpack this over these weeks, but it's the one where power begins to be released. You're not just called to be somebody who says, oh God, please do this. Oh God, I want this. You're also called to be the one who hears the voice of God and then orders things in the world according to his will. You're not just given the ability to pray, but you're given the ability to have authority. And when you begin to move in authority, you see things change. You see things come into alignment. You change. You can change communities. You can change atmospheres. You can change your family. But you have to know how to do it. And if all your prayer life is, which many people's prayer life stays at the level of only asking and asking and asking without believing that they have received what they have asked, then they never see the fruit of their asking. So I want you to see about results. Now, this is also Luke 11, and we're going to read this out loud together. But before I do this, I want to I frame it this way for you. I don't really care how long you pray. I don't really care how loud you pray. I don't care how passionate you are when you pray. I really would like to see answers when you pray. I've been around people who pray loud, who pray long, who never listen to anybody, who are passionate, who never see answers. If those people ask me, can I pray for you, I will say no. Not until you learn how. Because I want to see answers. When you pray, there needs, to be, there needs to be a breakthrough. When you pray, there needs to be outcomes. When you pray, because the promises of God promise extraordinary answers. 
The Bible says things like this. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Ask anything in accordance with the will of God, and it shall be done. Ask in my name, Jesus says, and the Father will do it. <laughs> if you spend a whole life praying and you don't ever see answers, something's wrong with the way you're praying. There needs to be prevailing prayer. So... Read this and think about that with me. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he has asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you understand what I'm saying with this idea of answers and results? You have a good father. Here's the thing I have learned. The question you ask, he answers the question you should have asked. The prayer he answers is usually the prayer you should have prayed. Because he is a good father. Now, it says here three things. And I believe that they are similar, but they are different. Where there is an increasing intensity in terms of how God trains you or Jesus trains you in the school of prayer. The first level is he teaches you to ask for anything. If Jesus has given you permission to ask, then you don't have to say, should I ask? You should just ask. But he's also given this word that, that, that it is the default setting of God for you to receive what you ask. This is who he is. He loves to say yes. He rejoices in saying yes. He has a storehouse waiting for you. And all he needs is the ask. But there are, there are times where you begin to realize that we ask out of impure motives. We ask out of our lust. And so we begin to love God for what he can do for us, not for who he is. And so sometimes what happens in order to train you is he pulls back the yes. And he may do that for a season. A season can last years. Depends on how long it takes you to figure out what's going on. Because when you are seeking something, it's because it's missing. It's lost. It can't be found. Seeking is more intense than asking. And so what has he done? He's pulled back the answer so you'll seek his face, not his hand. So you'll learn to seek him for who he is. The interesting thing is that as you progress in prayer, and I know I'm getting to the end of the story, but as you progress in prayer, he is the answer to everything you're asking. But you don't know that yet. It feels like money's the answer. It'll feel like your health is the answer. It'll feel like a relationship is the answer. And so you're like, Jesus, give me this boyfriend, please. 
you know, or, dude, I'm going to fast and pray for money, you know, and, you, and, you're, just, and you're thinking that's what you need. And, he, and he's so good. He carefully moves you along until you realize, oh, I don't need money. I need you. And then the last one is the, probably the most intense one of all because it's the idea of knocking. And the, the picture here isn't simply tap, tap. The picture here is knocking until the door opens in a sense that it's a locked door. Let me, let, let me, let me say it this way. In other words, for you to get where you want to go, where you're meant to go, where your destiny should take you, as a matter of fact, if, if you'll hear my voice, you are meant to soar like an eagle. And you're meant to run like an Olympic athlete. That, this is who you are. This is your destiny. This is God calling. You're not just meant to crawl through life and survive. You're meant to thrive and flourish. But if you start trying to run, you hit walls. And when you start trying to fly, you hit ceilings. Now, the walls, generally speaking, are spiritual warfare generated. They come from things from your past. They come from your family. The ceilings themselves, there are ways in which the enemy of your soul wants to box you in and make you believe you'll never soar. Well, you have to learn, how, what do I do when I hit a wall? What do I do when I hit the ceiling? And Jesus says, this is where you learn to knock. And this is what we're going to work on together. We're going to work on getting to the place where there'll be no walls that can stand against you and no ceilings. That's what it is to be a locomotive. You go through the, law, through the walls and no ceiling can contain you. Amen. Would you do this with me for the next six, the next, I guess it'll be five weeks now. Would you do this with me where we go after this together and, and you begin to look and to say, there are walls in my life, I want them to come down. The walls in my family's life. Some of us, I mean, some of us, we excuse the walls. Like I remember in my family, everybody goes, well, we're just always, we have a temper. We're just angry people. You know, you're sitting there going, are you proud of that? That's the wall that came down, that came and, and crushed us. Every time we take two steps forward, we take three back. Unbelief can be a wall. Fear can be a ceiling. Any of these things that, that hinder you, that limit you, that's what the Spirit of God wants to take you through the wall, through the ceiling, so you become the person you always wanted to become. But you can only do that with a prayer life. Because you won't do it through willpower. And you won't do it by being smarter, more educated. You'll only do it by being more yielded to the love of the Father. Listen to what he says. How much more will the whole, the, your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? Would you stand with me? Would you bow in, in prayer with me? Everybody loves to pray when it's easy. You know, when you just ask and the gold's right there on the ground, yeah, you'd ask forever. But Jesus takes us through the season of seeking and knocking. And some people give up on prayer when they have to go through that season. That's when locomotives are born. That's when they're revealed. I believe he's inviting you into being a locomotive. I don't know how big the train's supposed to be. Maybe the train's going to be generations that you carry into 
a place of blessing. Maybe it'll be your peers, your friends. Maybe it'll be just your own immediate family, but it doesn't matter. The world needs locomotives. I probably believe, I believe that some of you see what the walls are. Or you know they're there. You know they're ceilings. Maybe even there's some bruises and you're bloodied a bit from running into them. If you'll stick to the commitment, Lord, teach me to pray, you'll break the walls down. You'll take the ceiling apart. You won't be boxed in anymore. Would you receive this day the spirit of prayer? Right now, you don't have to create a prayer life, friends. The Spirit of God is praying right here in you. The Lord Jesus is praying right now at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for you. Your job is not to create a new prayer line. It's to join the one that's already happening. Don't you think that the Father says yes to everything the Son asks? Everything the Spirit groans on your behalf? So in the name of the Lord Jesus, as leaders in Risen King Alliance Church and with the authority that the Lord has given to us, we loose the spirit of prayer on our congregation and an anointing of prayer to hear the very prayers the Spirit is praying and to join Him in His prayers. And we ask that even now, each person from the one who prays least to the one who prays most that we will experience a greater dimension of prayer than ever before. Mighty answers, mighty prevailing prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I had this picture as, as, as we were praying and uh, it was rather specific of, um, of seeing some like powerful answers in these next six weeks together. So we've got prayer, our prayer people here. They will minister in this. But if there's a specific answer that you'd like to see happen in the next six weeks, would you come and join your prayers with one of our prayer ministry people here at the altar? And then let's see what God will do in the next six weeks. Um, Big or small. But some of you, I saw some big ones, some big answers to prayer. And so I'm inviting you to come and and to share with somebody else to make it verbal, to make it out loud, and then to hold on to Jesus as as that happens. So God bless you. Would you hug a few people on the way out? But if you have a specific thing you'd like to see happen in the next six weeks, would you come up and pray with one of our, our people? Would you not hide it, please? If it's a family thing, come up together. Let the Lord bless you and keep you and have a great week.